What it just fuck. It God, that's bad. Milk. I do need some milk. Jesus Christ. Oh, God. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Justin. And I'm Nathan. And today we're going to talk about the Noah's Ark of a game that we had this past weekend where we only took yep. two of each football player and tried to bring them yep. on as the stadium flooded away and the, eh, there goes, I don't know, that's all I got for that one. But yeah, it was Kentucky. We were all there, maybe not present. And then one, we of, no, and then one of our sons was dark-skinned and cursed and that's why <laughs> we can be racist. And that's why we live in the South or yeah. it's permissible um, in the South or something. I don't know. It's not permissible. Anyway, so away, listen, I, got, I have something I have something really important to talk about. Yes. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that You've Got Mail is like a modern day Shakespeare play and that Nora Ephron is severely underappreciated. I think that it speaks to all of the ways that love can confuse us and make us con- and, you know, make us both the worst and the best of ourselves. Um, and I think that if Shakespeare was writing today, he would be writing stuff like you've got mail. It is a classic Shakespearean tragedy, including the fact that like Tom Hanks is like low key kind of trash, but we all love him, you know? Anyway, how would you, uh, yeah. So Kentucky game. Well, now I don't know how you would adapt. You've got mail to more modern day, like right today. Cause that movie was still in the time of AOL where everybody had uh Justin Bray at, at AOL.com email address. So how would you adapt it today? Oh, it'd have to be like Tinder, right? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because now I'm trying to remember. See, it the last relies. Time I saw it relies movie. on a truly. It relies on having like anonymous asynchronous communication, mm-hmm. right? So Tinder wouldn't work for that because you oh, have that's to identify right, yourself. It's very much the whole, like the, the whole point of it is that she doesn't know who he is. Yeah. So, so it would have to be like uh, they fall in love through their like Reddit accounts. Oh or, yeah, like or, they're yeah. both in the Athens subreddit and they both yeah, been commenting or, on each other. Oh, that's really good. Or maybe they're both in like some kind of really obscure, weird, uh, like you know, message board, like old school message board or whatever. Because those do still exist. Yeah. Oh, you've got DMs. That's very good too. Yeah, like Twitter <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> or Discord. My wife has pointed out. You've got Discord. Yeah. Or it'd just be WoW. Oh yeah, World of Warcraft for sure. Yeah. Like one's Wait, alliance. Man, this has already horde. happened. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, apparently, okay, apparently Samantha, who has read some actual AU You've Got Mail stuff, says that uh, Discord is a popular one. I like it. And and You've Got Mail fanfic. All right, let's talk about Kentucky, the second least important reason that we're here. Um, The second most important here. So do you have, you know, your experiential subjective narrative stuff coming out of this? I mean, there's one obvious narrative, and I guess we can get to that in a second. But before we get to that... Let's talk about our experiences on the day. Yeah. I think that this was a funny weekend because it was my birthday, of course, on Friday. But on Saturday, what was fun is like woke up and went and did stuff out in town. And we had totally forgot it was a game day because it just did not feel like a game day in the least. Like the town didn't feel like a game day. It was raining, of course. I don't remember the last time it rained on a game day. Maybe 2015. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. But not the last time it rained like this. Uh, you would probably have a better idea for me. 2015 was the last time it rained so hard. 2009 yeah. was the lightning delay, I think. 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so that was that. And we just did normal old errands, which we normally wouldn't do on a game day. But it helped that it was a 6 o'clock game time and it was raining literally all day. And so it was just a 
pretty typical day for us. Clean the house. <laughs> we uh, we ended up watching the game over at Ryan and Heather's as we do. Um, and just generally, I don't know. It was one of those games where I sat there and I watched. And I think that I channeled my best Nathan there for a while. Because it wasn't, it wasn't anger that I was channeling, though. It was like that stare into the void and feel nothing nathan because i just kept watching and everybody around me was getting mad and questioning like why is this happening what's going on and i was like i have no answers for you because this is just uh you know and it was pretty it was like mm-hmm. uh, it, i still don't have words for it entirely now and I'm, I'm hoping for me at least uh to to find some some words to put to the feelings i have for this game because it was just another weird game. It wasn't weird in the same way that South Carolina was, but it was definitely a weird game. And I'm hoping that we can attribute a lot of that to the rain, but I don't know to what extent this is all, the, the rain is all to blame. Blame it on the rain. Dope. Um, oh yeah, three lightning belay, delays in ULM 2015, we're being told. Okay, Millie so- Vanilli is blame it on the rain, that's right. So I was not <laughs> inside, as you may uh-huh. have imagined. No, I was with the Redcoats. Uh, really kind of weird day. Got up, got ready. I'm about to walk out the door. Get about halfway to Redcoat practice before I find out that Redcoat alumni band has been canceled. So I turn back around, get home, sit there for a while, hang out. We had friends in for the weekend, Kelsey and her husband, Philip, who are... Kelsey is a sibling of Kyle, who I know is a listener, so shout out. It was really fun to talk to them. And so we just got to hang out for a while. And then we went to, I, I took Kelsey and Philip onto, uh, onto campus cause they were going to go to the game. And you know, it was basically from the moment we got out of the car raining to the moment we got back in the car. Oh yeah. It, it stopped stop. raining actually weirdly on our walk back a little bit. And then it rained more. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty rough. You know, obviously it is what it is. I would say, you know, it was still really good, even though Alumni Band got canceled. I still got to see C Swoop and a bunch of other people who I really love from Redcoats from back in the day. Uh, I saw Tazi and Amanda, who I think are both listeners. Um, so that was cool. And we actually got to do an indoor Sousa show in the rotunda of the MLC. Nice. And it was really loud. And a lot of the other Redcoats came and listened to it. And it was really fun. Uh, we continued i thought the long overall the band i thought continued the long red coat tradition of like blasting into the abyss like like we were lieutenant dan strapped onto the top of a crab boat you know just like yelling at god especially in the fourth quarter when there was nobody there and it was like very clear that we were gonna lose or we were gonna win uh it was kind of the opposite of the 2015 alabama game in many ways because it was like play choker let's not give up this one (laughs) meaningless touchdown Ah, i defy you god it was great um I got to, you know, I took Nick, who was the Battle Hymn soloist for the Notre Dame game and did such an amazing job. I took him up to do the Battle Hymn solo, which was, he did a great job, especially considering the circumstances, which were not only the weather, but also the fact that he didn't know for sure that he was going to do the Battle Hymn solo until the morning of when they canceled Alumni Band. So it was, it was, yeah, it was like a real rush job. So we get up there and the band's not going to be on the field, right? So it is just a total comedy of errors. So we get up there and apparently... Uh, the sound guy that we work with, his name's Sam. He's great, but he always rolls out the mic cords and tapes them down. Well, the gaffer tape that he uses got pulled up because it was wet, right? Yeah. So apparently 20 minutes before or five minutes before we get up there, 20 minutes before he's going to play, the fire marshal comes by and tells him he has to take those cords up, even though we've been doing this for like 20 years at this point. Okay. Mm-hmm. So fire marshal comes by. 
I get up there. Sam is just sitting there with the cords in his hand being like, uh, I guess we'll just, (laughs) he's like, we're like, what are we going to do? And it's like, you know what? We're just going to roll these out like two minutes before he has to play. And if the fire marshal comes, then he can just sue us or whatever. So we roll him back. That's how that works. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, it was like, it was like, what? Like, you're going to tell me that you really want us to not have a mic'd battle him solo. Like, come on, man. Anyway, so we we ended up rolling him out. We got him set up. And, of course, we get out there, and there's, like, nobody there. It's, like, me and the sound guy and the guy from Athletics who always comes up who's great. And then Sam's sister or Nick's sister and her friend, the battle him soloist sister and and her friend. And then, like, two random fans who were just like, oh, it's the battle him soloist. Can we record you? Uh, And then that was it. And so we get up there and usually what happens is they play the first note of battle hymn, which you can hear pretty clearly because it's, you know, right down there on the field. And then everybody, uh, the whoever's conducting battle hymn points up to the soloist and that's when he starts. Well, we can't hear the first note of battle hymn because the band is playing in the stands. And then also we can't hear them or we can't see them point. So mm. I'm standing like right beside him, like with my hand on hand behind his back. And as soon as I see, I think that maybe Brett has like waved up at us, then I pat him a couple of times. Uh, <laughs> so the whole like timing was really stressful because, you know, obviously there weren't as many people there to watch it, but it was still very stressful because it was like, man, we could really mess the timing of this up, huh? But it all ended up going well. And he had a really good run, especially considering that like brass instruments are just going to be flat in general, anytime it's rains or is cold. And he really got that first note out there and it was only like, I don't know, 10 cents flat, which is really not that bad considering way, way less flat than the rest of the band. Certainly. Mm -hmm. Um, so that port was really cool. And I mean, it was really weird because like I was really angry. So I was, I was like sad in the first half and then I went under the stands and I was with the two drum guys, uh, the two guys who, who are the drum instructors, uh, John and John, John Cypert and John Motes. And we were under the, we were under the, up in the tunnel under the stands, just like, the most sort of stereotypical type cursing you could imagine <laughs> ever, period like just so horribly stereotypical horrible just just like so many f-words just over and over and over again we got a lot of requests for me to cuss again on the uh on the yeah that, that definitely podcast, happened by the way um but you know it was really funny but i turned that sadness into anger and that actually helped me feel better and i came out in the second half like ready i was like all right the world is a beautiful place and i'm not afraid to die you know (laughs) um for all of you post-rock fans out there so yeah Yeah, that was my experience say i'm not the one reining you in from cursing yeah i know i'm reining myself i just want to put that out there i'm (laughs) reining myself in i just want to prove i can do it because fuck you all <laughs> See, and that was where you use that one. Yep, That's that how was good. you use it. That was correctly. very contextually appropriate. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So a lot of people are also using their own contextually uh, appropriate curse words about this game. So do we want to hop into some stats for this game and kind of tell the story that the stats tell and try and see if it makes us feel better one way or the other or it actually gives us a reason to be upset? Uh, do you want to kind of walk us through some stuff? Sure. Um, so stats wise, it's, it's kind of bad. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> bad all the way down. So, okay. So well, there's good and there's bad. Let's do the bad first because we involve, we, we really believe in taking your bad tasting medicine before you have your dessert at this podcast, which, mm-hmm. you know, if you listen to this podcast and then you get to the last 10 minutes when it's actually funny, um, and interesting. So <laughs> let's do the bad first. So on offense, Georgia was, I mean, lackluster is is 
probably being too nice right it's a bit uh, generous yeah 55 yard or 55 plays 270 yards 4.9 uh, yards per play on 11 drives 36 percent success rate the average on the year is 41 that sucks 40 percent us success rate just for the record like not only is that bad for our average that is also just bad for us our rush uh our rush success rate on the year is uh 54 so we were 14 points off of our average right we were just kind of stultified like all the way through in every aspect of the game was my was my observation especially in the first half uh yards per pass yards per rush 5.46 yards per pass 2.91 woo woo wee <laughs> got a case of the vapors holy hell that's bad uh opportunity rate 53 percent. so we we're getting a lot of five yard runs there were a lot of second and fives that then turned into third and fives because we ran a dumb play uh-huh. uh explosiveness rate 13 percent. explosiveness rate rush 14 percent. explosiveness rate pass eight percent rush rate 78 percent this, and these two numbers are, are if you want to have anti-James Coley ammunition, these two numbers are really your best bet. Standard down rush rate, 69%. Okay, that makes sense. Nice. Pass down rush rate, 73%. In passing downs, when we were at second and long or third and long or first and long, we were actually more likely to run than we were on standard downs when you would expect us to run. That is... I mean, like, if you just take these three numbers, okay, seventy or seventy-three percent passing down rush rate, seven point two five yards to go third, five point four six yards per play rush, that ends up in a lot of fourth downs. Just that math right there, seventy-three percent of the time running in a passing down situation with seven point two five yards yards to go on third, and only getting on average five point four six yards. That leaves you with a lot of fourth and twos, which is, by the way, exactly what happened. Um, so yeah, yeah, in, in many ways it was as bad as you thought. I mean, once we turned it on, you know, it was decent. Uh, our, we had a pretty, like a 15 point positive margin and success rate in the second half. But I mean, that was not enough to make these numbers look any better. First down success rate, 42%. That's fine. Second down success rate, 35%. Also fine. Third down success rate, 25%. Not fine. Less than fine. It gets worse. Standard down success rate, 56%. Okay, adequate. Pass down success rate, nine goddamn percent. Nine percent. One one digit. Oh, my God. Oh, give it. Jeez. Okay, so red zone success rate, 75%. Uh, scoring opportunity success rate, 60%. Short rest success rate, 50%. Those have to do with small sample size because we weren't in the red zone or within their 40, but three times on the night. 100% opportunity touchdown rate because we only had what we only had three op, uh, scoring opportunities and we scored on all three of them. We only had an 18% red zone drive rate as in we only got it within the red zone three times on the night and we just scored on all three of them. What a just fuck. It God, is that's some bad. Milk. I do need some milk. Jesus Christ. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I was, I remember watching the game and it was it was maybe five to ten minutes left in the third. It may have been even closer to the fourth, but Ryan looked at me and he goes, Hey, we just finally got into the you know, the Kentucky side of the the football field and I was like, You're funny. And then I realized that that was absolutely no, correct. No, that no, no, that's the first that's time real. we had been yeah, into real. Kentucky absolutely. territory the entire night. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. <gasps> yep, it was. Okay. So what is that? Get ready for some Nathan Lawrence next level stats. Hit so, me with them stats, Nathan. I've been trying to figure out what is at the heart of this problem because really, I mean, 
it's kind of one of those elimination of variables problems that you have in science in science class where you're like, well, the way that the scientific method works is that you have a hypothesis and you test this hypothesis and you eliminate all the things that can't be true. Blah, 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 blah. Like it's yeah. deduction, whatever. So the mitochondria it, is a powerhouse to sell. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So you it's difficult to imagine if we're just if we if we don't even do this scientific method wise if we just say okay let's kind of just try to strike out the things that it probably isn't in terms of what's the problem with the offense well it's probably not skill player talent now i don't know that we necessarily have world beating wide receivers but we certainly statistically have decent wide receivers and we have very very good running backs i would say i don't know conservatively a top five running back core it's almost certainly not offensive line well, I don't think that our offensive line has performed too well in the last two games. They are undoubtedly high, highly heralded recruits and have produced at a very high level throughout the rest of the season. Per many offensive line metrics, despite these last two games, this is still a top five or a top 10 offensive line, right? Mm-hmm. It's difficult to think that it's, you know, it's conceivably quarterback play, right? Jake Fromm's looked kind of bad, uh, held the ball a little bit too long. It's hard to know if that is Jake Fromm getting the yips from throwing his first pick six or whatever of the year, or if it's just he's being told to be very conservative and he goes through all four of his reads and he just tries to run unsuccessfully on third down and second down. Looking at you, James Coley. <laughs> I, at some point, when you eliminate or at least say, well, it's probably not these things, what you're left with is play calling. Now, I cannot tell you if this is a James Coley isn't calling the right plays thing. I cannot tell you if this is a Kirby Smart, you know, philosophically wants James Coley to do something different than he, than he wants to do. We have a question on, you know, James Coley's tendencies at Miami versus James Coley's tendencies here. It's hard for me to really, I don't think I'll go ahead and pre, I'll pre-answer that question. I think it's difficult to make any comparisons because the, the whole thing on James Coley was that he liked to throw the ball and he threw too many screen passes. And we've definitely seen a lot of screen passes, but we have not seen the first one of those. So it's hard for me to know if there's really anything reliable that we can get out of that data right uh-huh. so what the only data we really can ha- we really can use are the are the what we have in front of us so i i went over to a very good website called sec Statcat that has uh basically play share and yard share things through for every sec team so play share is like what percentage of the time do we run what plays and then yard share is how many plays do they how many yards do they get make sense okay so Sure does. Let's look at the first half versus the second half because I really think that this is the this is the 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 key for everyone that this is there's a play calling problem here, right? So in the first half, our first our most commonly run plays were inside zone read and outside zone. Those plays are our bread and butter. For instance, those like for instance those two plays are some of our like inside zone read is our number one run play on the year. However, outside zone is our number seven run play on the year. We've only run it 15 times, five of those in, uh, on s- Saturday night. So that's kind of weird, especially mm. those outside zone plays because they they tend to leave. No one has to account for the quarterback, which you don't super have to account for Jake Prom, but at least you you know with Jake Fromm's threat to run, you at least give them a step, hopefully, right? So on those outside zone plays. And so a lot of times when you run outside zone, you're relying on your tackle to get a one-on-one block. But the problem is it's hard to make a one-on-one block when you have a linebacker within three yards of the play on every play because they think you're going to run 78% of the time or whatever, right? So as a result, our two most commonly run plays in the first half on Saturday night had a success rate of 40% and 20% for outside zone. Basically, you had linebackers scraping down into the B and C gaps on 
basically every play. I don't have these numbers in front of me, but anecdotally, it did feel to me like about 80% of the time Kentucky had eight or nine in the box and like, you know, 10 out of the 11 within three or or within five yards of the line of scrimmage. So when you run outside zone where you're relying on a wall off block or a cutback block or a crack block to spring the play and you have three guys and one blocker, it's never going to work, right? 20% success rate is pitiful. Now, those that was play shared. If we look at yard, yard share, inside zone read was actually relatively successful. Uh, 31% of the yards in the first half, which is still not great, but 7.8 yards per play. We also ran flood variations, which is a, uh, it's a, it doesn't matter. It's a pass concept. We ran flood variations for 22 yards per play, uh, but that was, you know, 16% of the yards. However, we only ran flood, I think once in the first half. So there's a weird thing where, you have high usage, low success, right? And so to me, that's the key of the problem in the first half. We keep doing the same things over and over again, and they just are not working. And yeah, that sounds silly, but that's the core of the problem with this offense is it's not the plays that are called, right? It's not the players. And it's, I don't even really think it's philosophical. I just think that like the specific situational play calls that are not working are just being repeated over and over and over again. And I think that Kirby saw that at the, at the, at the end, you know, at halftime, because if we look after halftime again, from in the the third and fourth quarter, our most common play was still inside zone read at 11 times, 50% play share. But suddenly our second most common play was outside zone read. Uh, a lot of this, I think, was with the bash concept that we started running. We ran that 22% of the time in the, in the third and fourth quarter with an 80% success rate. A lot of those big blow, uh, those big busted runs where, you know, Brian Harrion or especially DeAndre Swift was just taking it for 15 yards a chunk, those were on outside zone reads. Now, in particular, and I talked to Doc Stats about this earlier today, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that in our first half, we were coming out in 10 personnel a lot with no tight end. And I think that it became very clear. Uh, to the coaches that that wasn't going to work in the running game. And I also think that, and doc stats told me this and I agree with them that <laughs> Kirby basically got so angry that he told them to run the damn ball. And the way they responded was by putting a tight end close, because when you have a tight end close and you run outside zone read in particular off of a bash motion, what you're kind of sort of doing is the zone concept of a toss pitch or of a toss sweep, because what you can do when you're running like a bash motion or an outside zone read in general is you can have a, tight end coming across the formation which they often were or you can have a you know a guard coming across the formation to kick out and block and if you watch a couple of those big plays what happens is that either a tight end or a wide receiver has that outside block that springs the play and the linebackers are getting cut up inside and so they can't scrape over to to make the play it's like pretty simple football but what's frustrating to me is that we didn't figure that out until the second half Right now, I don't know if that's a James Coley thing. If he's just like, we're going to run out of the 10 personnel and we're going to run, you know, inside zone as our bread and butter. But it just was not working. No. You know, when you we, we ran inside zone read five times, we ran inside zone two times. This is in the first half. So we ran five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, 10 plays that were designed runs inside. So inside zone read five times, 40% success rate. Inside zone two times, 50% success rate. Inside power two times, 0% success rate. So basically we had 10 plays where we were just around average success rate at best, right? So if, if we ran, if we only had a 40% success rate on, in, on inside zone read, our most commonly run play, it meant, it meant that like two out of the five times that we run it, it just didn't work. 
And that's the, that's the core of it is like when your bread and butter isn't working and you can't get off of that bread and butter for an entire half, I like that's bad. Yeah. Not not, like, not that's not just bad. That's like criminal negligence. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I I I don't understand why very smart people and I don't think that James Coley's dumb and I don't think that Kirby Smart's dumb. I cannot I I and I don't even know if it's stubbornness. In the moment of the game, I don't think that coaches very often have the metacognitive, you know, self awareness to think, okay, this is my philosophy, this is what I'm going to do. I think they just run what they know. Yeah. But you have to see if you're running inside zone read, inside power, inside or inside zone three like three times in a run, like there was in the, at the end of this or in the middle of the second half, we had a we had a uh, three play drive where we ran inside zone read, inside power, inside zone, and none of them got more than two yards. And it's like, yes, that is that is small sample size to the max. Yes, that nece- it's not necessarily indicative of like your entire game what happens in one drive. But after that happens a couple of times in the first half, and then you just have a drive die on those plays, you have to make adjustments because even if the coach, you know, there's been all this talk about weather, but ultimately at the end of the day. If you are told as an offensive coordinator, okay, we don't want to pass the ball because we're worried about the weather. There are a lot of run plays. There's oh, a, a lot of, of plays. Yeah. There, I mean, and yeah, yeah, I know that seems facile, but it's like you can run anything you want. You don't have to run inside zone read. There are all sorts of zone concepts. And on top of that, all of our like sort of window dressing was so like it was so simple and it was so in tendency that a lot of times I think our window dressing is actually making it easier for the other offense to know. Like if we pull a split out tight end close, we're going to run inside zone or we're going to run outside zone to that tight end side. We are not running counters. Like we just aren't like, and I don't mean like small C counter, like counter punch theory, the way I've talked about it. I mean, like literally we are not running the counter. And that, that, that is like, that staggers me, right? How do you, like, this is not, like, the stuff I'm saying is not next level analytic stuff. This is stuff that you're like first year grad student assistant coach, the guy who's doing quality control in the booth. He is sitting up there tabulating what you're calling and if it's working or not. How do you not have someone that says, hey, stop calling the inside power. It is not working. I, I, I just don't get it. Like, it, it beggars the mind. And so ultimately we talk about this. We talk about this offense going forward. Yeah, we can be really good. I mean, there are things that this offense on the year has done incredibly well, right? Inside zone read on the year. We have a 50.54% success rate on it inside zone. We have a 58% success rate on inside power, 44% success rate. But if we don't have other things to loosen those runs up, if it's those numbers are just going to get bad. I mean, they're just going to get so so bad and so ultimately that's the thing that that pisses me off it's it's just like to me the problem it's not it's not play calling in a vacuum it's not offensive philosophy in a vacuum it's the situational awareness that you have to make adjustments it's adjustment making in real time this team is really good at coming out in the second half and making adjustments if we play someone with a functioning offense and we wait until the third quarter to make offensive adjustments we are going to be down three touchdowns and the idea that you can just be complacent because you don't think that Kentucky has a quarterback and you don't think it'll matter. Yeah, well, I guess that's fine. But like, that's bad practice. You're teaching yourself bad things because when you play Auburn and you play like that, you're going to be down three touchdowns at the half. Anyway, 
that's all the bad news. That's all the, the good, bad news. The good news is there's good news though. There's good news. Mm-hmm. This defense is good. <laughs> they're not oh, just yeah, the like defense a, is hella good. They're they're a top five defense per SP plus right now, and and they played like it. Right, fifty two plays for Kentucky, one hundred and seventy eight yards. Defense registering only fourteen percent havoc rate, but only giving up twenty five percent success rate. Holy shit, that is good. Twelve percent pass success rate, thirty one percent rush success rate. That is amazing. Explosive rate pass on the day for Kentucky, 0%. Explosive rate rush, 6%. Explosiveness rate on the day, 4%. That is so good, man. Standard down rush rate for Kentucky was 73%. They knew they wanted to pass, and they just could not do it. We got real aggressive in the second half with blitzes. We, we traced Bowden, who I think is a very good player, all over the place and got him off mm-hmm. of his spots, and he's not a natural quarterback, and he could not do anything. Right, zero zero percent red zone. They had they had zero. They they snapped the ball. Um, only nine percent of the time did they go to the red zone. They had zero percent red zone success rate. Yeah, that is so freaking. It's pretty good. staggering. Yeah, UGA has let has yet to get. I just want to say, just for the record, UGA has yet to give up a rushing touchdown in the year. Even against a guy who ran for almost two hundred yards and three touchdowns yeah. a week ago. Yeah. Yep. 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 And for the season, it gets even better, man. It's I mean, this defense has gone from like, oh, I like it to like, this is like borderline erotic. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, it's no, I so believe good. You. Hold on. That was the only thing we could kind of pull away from this game with was that, hey, this defense is quite good. And Yeah, at this point, we're seven games in. And I think we just have to admit that like, it's not scheduled. The defense is just good. There have been a couple of coverage busts on the year, but I, I really don't. It's hard you to can look count at them this. in one hand at this point. Yeah, it's hard to look at this and not and think like. I, I mean, I I just can't. Other than saying like, hey, we need to learn to tackle a little bit better, and like, it sure would be good if Tyreek Stevenson came along, and if uh, we got oh shoot, what's our injured quarterback Tyson Campbell? If we got Tyson Campbell back, that would be really helpful. Other than those two things, I like this isn't this is an excellent defense. Like so on the year currently, just just per rank, ten uh, tenth in success rate. Uh, rank 22nd in rush success rate 10th and pass success rate that's just really good man and it gets even better when you break it down like ninth in opportunity rank we're not giving up a lot of runs over five yards eighth in explosive rate we're not giving a lot of big plays up right 27th in uh, explosive rate rush because we've gotten up we've given up a couple of big run plays but that's still very good and third in explosive rate pass rank Right. I mean, this is this is a this is a good defense from top to bottom. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day, one of the things that I thought about was like we won this game because the defense came to play. And, yeah, you know, Bowden was limited and they really didn't have a full offense out there because they don't have a real they don't have a real quarterback. I mean, for all of the things that Bowden did amazingly, he he couldn't do what they needed him to do. But at the end of the day, quarterback could. UGA has played seven games. They are they are the first ranked team in the nation and red zone success rate success rate. They are the first ranked team in the nation and scoring opportunity success rate. If you get inside of UGA's forty, you only have a twenty five percent chance of running a, a successful pan, uh, pass. If you got in, if you get inside of UGA's twenty, you only have a fourteen percent chance of running a successful pass. That is so so good, so good, man. I mean, scoring opportunity rate. We're only giving up 30% of our drives get, get inside of the 30, only 30% of opponents drives get inside of our 40 good for seventh in the nation. Only 24% of our opponents drive get inside of our, uh, get inside of 
Oh, no, no. Even better. Only 14% of our opponent's drive get inside of our 20, which is good for second in the nation. We're getting... When when the opponent has the ball inside of the 20, we're only giving up a touchdown 25% of the time. Good for first in the nation. This team... I'm sweating over here. This this team is officially good at defense. And yeah, our havoc rate does not look great. We're like... A pretty paltry havoc rate on the year. We're 73rd in havoc rate at about 18%, which I would point out is only about two off of where Kirby said he wanted us to be at the end of the year. But pretty much every other thing that you do or that we do, like uh, the radar chart of UGA's uh, defense in, uh, to this year, it looks like a it's like a home base because there's one flat side where you have stuff rate and um, havoc rate, and then everything else is great. This this def- this de- defense is just good, man. You pointed out the have a great thing, and that, that is kind of a personality stat. It's like a, this team does this thing this much of the time, and it's yeah. not necessarily a, a good or bad thing. It's just kind of a, this is where you stand relative to the rest of the teams out there. But can we, in your opinion, take this have a great uh, stat and then kind of extrapolate and kind of interpret that because that is a conservative stat, that's also how the offense is operating like it truly is play calling it truly is this and that because i know you uh, the only reason i bring this up is because you have a few more uh observations about personnel as far as players go and so i want to kind of get this out of the way before we go into specific player observations does that make sense yeah i mean i i defensively i think that we're playing safe but i've noticed that you know one of the thing i don't think one of these things that i don't think are my havoc great numbers are picking up is that our even though our sack numbers are not good, our QB pressure numbers are very good. And when you when you apply QB pressure, you end up with a very good explosive pass defense. You end up with a very good pass defense in general. And I'm not saying sacks don't matter. They 100% do. But I do think that some of the conservatism in play calling is actually really useful because if you can get just pressure, not even Havoc plays, if you can just get pressure with four, which we've proven decent at doing on the year, then you could have a successful offense or a successful defense rather. Yeah. Um, let's see. A couple of other things. Oh, just one one other thing on the offense that really pisses me off. For the game, usually had a negative 30% success rate differential when running inside zone concepts versus uh inside zone read or outside zone versus outside zone read versus inside zone read. So if we ran inside zone read, we were 30% less successful than running outside zone read. That's not a hard thing to figure out. Yeah. That's my that's my number one thing. It's like it's not even play calling. It's just like situational awareness. This thing has happened. It's not good. Like that. It, it's like a baby can do that. It's like oh, I burned my hand on the stove. I guess I probably shouldn't do that again. Like Jesus, guys. <laughs> you have any further observations of this game? Uh, I think Jake Fromm. I don't know that I would say I'm worried, but I do think that he's got. I don't want to full on say Jake Fromm has the yips. I want to say a little Jake, shaken. Jake Fromm looks pre-yip to me. Mm-hmm. And it's like ever since that pick six against USC, he's just held the ball too long. You just have to, you know, the old Baker Mayfield thing of like F and mail it, man. You just gotta send yeah. it. Just send it, just man. Do it. And and it's it's great that he gets to his fourth option. And and if he gets to his fourth option, and he doesn't see separation, he's got to pull it in and run. That's fine. But he's done it on a couple of plays where I mean, there was a play where, you know, he had uh he had George Pickens on a streak one-on-one with like half a step on his man and he did see the safety rotate down but it's like you can probably take a risk on that ball if you throw that ball to the right place it's probably not getting picked because it's a it's an outside shoulder throw on a go route or a streak route or whatever you want to call it and if you put it in the right place which jake Fromm has traditionally been very good about that it's either going to be caught or it's going to be out of bounds 
even with safety rotation. So it's just stuff like that where it's like you see something coming open and you see, oh, well, this might not be great long term and you just move on to your next read. And it's like, I don't know that it's that our wide receivers aren't getting separation. I think that it's also that our our quarterback is not pulling the trigger. And I don't know if that's Jake's got the yips. I don't know if it's that Kirby tells him, you know, stop making mistakes. And he just it's bad psychology on the coach's part. But at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know, man. I, it, it it it's worrying. It's worrying. I don't think it's a permanent thing, and I think that maybe with an off an off week to clean some stuff up, maybe he'll come out feeling a little bit better about it. But at the end of the day, he's like this. This whole offense runs through him, and if he's not working well, like we're not gonna be able to do anything. We're gonna lose three more games if he can't get this together. That's just what it is. Ugh. I mean, it's true. Uh, yeah, I know. Receiver, that's kind of the feeling I came around uh, away from this with. On wide receiver, my only other observation is that um, it's hard to say whether or not this has to do with predictability, right? Uh, per SEC StatCat, UGA runs the curl seam comeback concept at smash comeback, uh, smash concept about 5% of the time each. Those are just both past concepts. I'm not going to get into what they are. So, you know, about 5% of the time we run those two plays each, right? So those make up 10% of our plays. But the next most passing uh, common pass concept uh, is flooded 2.8% of the time. So to me, what that means is that that drop is probably making our passing game more, it's making us more predictable. And I think it's something that a coverage matching scheme, which, you know, every Nick Saban disciple is going to run, can it can be uniquely well suited to match, right? If you know that UGA really likes to run smash concepts to the outside or to, you know, the, the field side of the play, and you see a you see a play developing. If you are a well-trained DB and you think, huh, this might be a smash concept and it always is, that's bad. You know what I mean? If you like, if, if we're like, you know, the wide receiver route combos are designed to put tension on defensive backs and make them make bad decisions and go- and choose wrong. Right. But if you know exactly what's coming, there are ways to defeat every one of them. And when you have a 3% drop from your most commonly to most commonly run plays to your second, most commonly run play, or third most commonly run play, if a good team, a good defense with, let's face it, Will Mustiap runs a good defense, is going to pick up on that. And I think that's kind of part of the problem here. We've got to, I, I'm not saying that we need to come out here and be Texas Tech. I'm not saying that we need to go out and run, you know, the Mike Bloomgren power run offense. What I am saying is we can do what we want to do, what Kirby Smart wants to do with just a little bit more variety and window dressing and be successful. But we have, we cannot just run the core 20% of the playbook. We really cannot because it's not going to work. Because if you put six guys within the line, you know, two yards of the line of scrimmage, no amount of good blocking is going to make inside zone run work. It's just not. So that's where I am. Yeah. It's not that I don't think that this can be fixed. I really do. On the year, UGA is... You know, per SP plus, like the 11th best offense and the fifth best defense. We're top five in SP plus right now because our defense is really good and we have a good special teams. But if we don't start playing back to that ability and if our coaches don't start giving people some wrinkles, none of that is going to matter. And I don't think that anybody can provide the answer whether or not that's going to happen or not. You know, I mean, I guess if you're Senator Lutarski and you tend to be a little bit cynical and that's fine. I'm not saying that a shade. If that If you're a guy like that, you'll probably think, well... Kirby wants to manball it and he'll manball us to death. And that might be right. I, and I don't know. Right. But at the end of the day, the question is, when are they going to figure out that we have to throw a little bit more from the playbook out on the field? 
Because at the end of the day, we we have passed the part of the schedule where we can win with a vanilla offense. And we're not going to have that again until we play against Georgia Tech. So the question is, are we going to do it? I, I don't know. <laughs> <sighs> so. And there's 42 minutes of Nathan talking and making people sad. <laughs> it kind of just beat on me a little bit, but that's okay. That's part of the show. We just kind of talk about stats and sometimes make us happy and sometimes make us sad. These ones are kind of not really soul crushing, but these ones left me wanting more. That's about it. Uh, Our prediction reviews, though, hopping right into those. Another one of those situations where I believe I came away with the win on this one, but not in a way that makes me happy by any means. Very first one was over under from 20 and a half attempted passes. You won because you prices righted (laughs) me, just for the record. Yeah, and I said that in the previous episode. I knew that. That first one, though, over, under, from, 20 and a half, 10 passes. You said over, I said under. I think he had 12 for, like, 35 yards, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Uh, over, under, Bowden, uh, 100 rush yards. And I want to say, I thought I found this pretty funny, but it was uh, it was Bowden or Bowden, depending on who was speaking the mm-hmm. entire game in the commentary. I think it's uh, Bowden. We both said It's under. the actual way. Yeah, it could go either way. I'm not sure. I'd have to ask him. Um, we both said under. He, I think he had 99 yards. <laughs> Ha, ha ha yeah got him got that uh, one right two uga players with 75 plus rushing yards we just had the one we both said over uh over under 0.5 george pickens touchdowns you said over i said under he had none uh 40 uga points is the last over under we you said over i said <laughs> that, push just that for was the hell gone. we were both wrong and that one was oh, yeah, gone in like wrong. the first 10 minutes of the game man yeah uh prediction on the overall score of the game yours was 42 to 20 uga mine was 35 17 uga and i win but not in a good way and may (laughs) i just be like may i just be polite and it's like you are you are my least favorite kind of person who plays the prices right anyway (laughs) why is that no because you were like oh well let me just no 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 stop stop because (laughs) i was like "Mm, i think like 45 17 and you were like well i want to win so i'm going to go a little bit lower price of right style god damn it that's fair but i will say in the first half of the season i did get a really risky i was really risky all season and i was the one pushing my over-unders to you first giving you the first option and my issue was my over-unders were bad they were easy. They would go one way. And so I went to a new system where they were a little bit more controversial. And then I I played conservatively, I guess. But we can play more fairly later. I think we're, we're no, pretty no, no, it's okay. no, 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 no. <laughs> you have to adjust your playbook, Nathan. I'm not I'm not gonna adjust my playbook. I'm just gonna min maxing this bullshit. <laughs> you're like you're like the you're like the worst kind of GM and I'm about to I'm about to be the worst kind of player. I just want to say that's not indicative of my play style at all. I just want to come back so this is a fair season. No, it's not. No, no you're, a very good, you're a very good role player. All right, moving on. <laughs> all right. So with all that mess out of the way, we're going to get into some real questions about the game from our Ask CBC section. If you want to hear your questions on the show, make sure you send them to us, Facebook, Gmail, or Twitter. Hashtag Ask CBC is the tag you throw on there, and we will see those, and we will read those live on the show. So I just want to say there are a lot of these. And if we give a one sentence answer or a one word answer, it is not because we're trying to be dismissive. And also this comment is definitely not shade at anyone. Uh, I just, it was brought to our attention very, very polite, politely that sometimes uh, when we answer in one word sentences, it sounds like we're angry. No, that's not the case. We just have a lot, a lot of these. And like a lot of times we're way, way, way over schedule. So 
if I just the say alternative yes or no, is we omit them and we don't yeah. necessarily want to do that. Yeah. If I just say yes or no to some of these, it's because either we've already recovered it or my feelings are pretty clear. Uh, the very first one comes from Dog to Tiger at Dog to Tiger. How many turtle heads can fit in the swamp? This is based on stadium volume and may need to take some time to calculate. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know like what to say about that. <laughs> okay. So if he means turtle heads as in uh, Florida fans, Ben Hill uh-huh. Griffin Stadium currently has a maximum capacity of, oh, geez, uh, 90,916. So that many. But if he means like dudes about to poop, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure what Turtlehead means. And or is that, is, that like, is that like slang? Is that like slang for like a trashy for- Florida person? Because if so, then the answer is like a million. Turtleheads. I'm looking up Turtleheads on Urban Dictionary now. What you got for me? That's eh, just poop. That's just poop stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So if it's poop, poop stuff, I'm going to go ahead and say a lot. <laughs> It'll take us some time to actually calculate that as you already have previously mentioned. Their second question, though, on a serious note, what do you think of player comments after the Kentucky win? Are they as frustrated as the fans on play calling? Well, it seemed like most of their comments were like, don't boo at us when we have to run the stupid plays our coaches want to run. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, what else are they going to say? I, at the end of the day, I think that these their comments about the fans booing are just kind of indicative of the fact that this is a team that's well run because mm-hmm. if you're a good coach you go into the play you go into the locker room afterwards and you say hey they booted us but we came through it and we played our kind of game and we won 21 to nothing which you know that's fair i don't i yeah. I, I i my opinion on booing in the stands is just like everybody is savvy enough at this point internet savvy enough to know what the fans are booing and the players certainly yeah. are so oh, yeah. i yeah don't boo the players but let's be clear when the whole stadium boos because you run on third and eight Everybody in the stadium knows why you're booing. Like none of the players mm-hmm. are like, "Oh, you hurt my feelings." Like, come on, man. Like, they it, know exactly what's going on. I, I feel like a lot of the reactions to people booing is very like old white sports writer, and it's like, okay, have you ever been to a Cubs game? Like, you think we boo? Jesus. <laughs> uh, next question is from Austin Vaughn. Why just why? There's a few of these. I mean, look. At the end of the day, the fatalism is not really called for because we won. Could it be that this performance presages a, I don't know, eight and four season and Nathan getting really sad drunk in Jacksonville for a bowl game? Certainly. (laughs) Certainly. Most definitely possible. We can't preclude that. But also, I don't really think that there's enough information. There's there's not enough, you know, there's not enough conclusive information one way or the other to know that that's going to happen, mainly because... In the first five games of the season, UGA's offense was really good. And on the season, UGA's offense is still really good. So, I mean, it's hard for me to tell you that that's 100% going to happen because just as easily as we could go into Jacksonville two weeks and crap our pants and turtle head all over the field, I think I'm doing it correctly, <laughs> uh, <laughs> just as, as easily as we, we could do that, we could also like figure out some wrinkles and have a successful game plan and, you know, have some things work. I, I, I don't know, but I don't think that there's really evidence enough to point either way at this point. And at this point, you just got to take it on faith. And let's be real. You listen to a stats podcast about one college football team, which is like the sixth most uh, popular sports in the United States. You definitely are taking some things on faith, my dude. <laughs> I really like the next question. <laughs> it is uh, 
from Harrison Wackle tweets, should we start Balta against Florida? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bring it back. Uh, Bring it back now. Zach, Zach Callett, Zach Callett, sorry. Uh, what's y'all's opinions on Georgia fans booing the play calling during the first half after failed third down conversions? Here you get to really flesh out your feelings there, Nathan. I mean, again, I just want to emphasize this. Like, I think it helps everybody. It really does because mm-hmm. all all the fi- all the players are going to do is get pissed off about it and play better. And everybody knows, right? And it's not that the players are being disingenuous and they're like, "Don't boo us. We're doing our thing." It's just like that's how being a that's how being a you know high level athlete works is that you have to kind of pit yourself against someone, and if you have an easy target, you take it. I don't even think they're thinking of it like that. That's just literally how it works. And you know, it lets the coaches know that, like, hey, people are noticing that you suck. <laughs> um, Jim Wood, where were the outside runs against South Carolina? As odd as it fi- uh, yeah. as odd as it sounds, I feel like we played offense against South Carolina the same way as we did against Kentucky. The dogs are still undefeated, mind you, with problems still, but undefeated. All right. So versus South Carolina on the day. Oh damn, he's right. They were not there. So if unless you're counting screens, we only ran four screens. But other than that, we didn't run. We ran inside zone read 20 times for a 50% success rate. We ran smash variation eight, curl seam hook, comebacks six times, inside zone six times, inside power six times, all curls four, drive shallow four. That's not really outside. Screen, I guess, is kind of an outside run. Spike curl shot levels outside. Outside power read once. 100% success rate. So, yeah. And then the inside zone read that we insisted on coming back to 20 times, 4.2 yards per play. I guess it didn't take us two two halves to make that adjustment. It took us three. Yeah. But if we ran those those outside... Okay, I understand this question now. If we ran those outside runs, would we be undefeated, do you feel? Honestly, but yeah. I, I, yeah. No, I kind of do. I kind of do. Because that that is... Now that I've looked at this for South Carolina, I hadn't looked at it before. It's like that is exactly what was happening. I'm not even angry. I mean, I'm not even sad. I'm I've gone past sad and into angry. Either we need to make either we have to make we have to make adjustments or we have to fire our offensive coordinator. Yeah, and that's it. If you can't make adjustments, then something needs to change drastically. Yep. Hannah loves Disney, but she misses her dogs. This is Hannah Schaefer. Which QB yeah. is Florida more likely to use? <laughs> This is funny because the narrative now goes UGA fails against the backup quarterback and Florida can't seem to pick which one they want to choose. Oh, they're going to go with Trask. They've had Jones in on, you know, to some extent, but not that much. However, is Felipe Franks now the backup quarterback or is he still hurt? He's still hurt. Okay. He's like out for the season. I'm pretty sure. Well, alrighty. Bryce comma. The play calling of the smart Coley regime seems to get results below the expectation of a team with an 80% blue chip ratio. Can the play calling improve while maintaining the run the damn ball ideology? Yes, 100%. Next question. If so, what examples can UGA look to as examples of dynamic rushing attacks? Maybe the 49ers? If not, should we think that Smart and Co. can adapt like LSU has or will we enter into some sort of Michigan-like dark age? Don't even say those things. Okay, I actually think that where we should look we should look at the – this is going to be weird, but I think we should look at Rice, specifically Mike Bloomgren, who runs this – Where like, did you get this idea? No, no, no. Just listen. Listen, listen. Okay, Mike, I'm listening. Mike, Mike Bloomgren is the head coach of he's – he's the head coach at Rice, and he was at – I think he was at 
Stanford for a while. And then he was in, before that he was at the Jets and he was at Alabama for 10 years as a grad assistant. But um, at, when he was at Stanford, which was from 2011, to 2017, that was like Stanford's heyday of like dumb man ball. And if you want to run, my whole thing is like, if you're going to run the damn ball, why not just lean in and do the whole like two tight ends and a fullback thing? We don't currently have a fullback on the roster, but like we can probably find one. And we're not going to do mm-hmm. that. But if we wanted to look somewhere, that's where I would look. Or Wisconsin, if you want to like exa- example of an actual good team. <laughs> All right. Modoc Wally. Do we have too small a sample size to compare Coley at UGA to Coley at Miami? And considering the differences in programs, is there anything to be learned from such a comparison? I mean, I know that he likes to run the screen too much. That was one of the things yep. about him. So, Yeah. We haven't really looked into much of Miami other than just what we knew going I just, into I don't. I just don't think that we've had enough of a sample size at UGA. Yeah. Okay. Stephen Rinesmith. Does the disposable soma theory of cellular aging justify or refute? It says Kirby's philosophy on offense. I gave you a little link there. So the idea, the idea of the disposable soma theory, I'm pretty sure I haven't clicked on the link yet, is the thing where it's like, as organisms can either live a long time or produce a lot of offspring. So organisms mm-hmm. that live a really long time tend to not produce as many offspring. So like spiders have like a thousand babies or whatever. I I guess it kind of goes in line with Kirby's philosophy because he seems, seems to think that you can either be physical and run the ball or have a functioning offense and not both. Ryan Van Meter. Assume Kirby knows at this point that Coley isn't good enough. He's going to have to make a change. What can he do to avoid losing the season and possibly key recruits before he has a chance to make that change? I mean, just talk to his... Basically, what he's got to do is it's kind of a weird thing, right? You can't necessarily say like, Hey, I'm going to fire this guy. Cause that doesn't look good, but you can yeah. be more involved with the people that he is the record of like that. He is the recruiter of record of, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, he has to kind of, there's going to be some damage control. There's going to be some crowd control, but he has to be yeah. a good manager at this point. He has to figure it out and, and make sure that he's meeting the needs of all the players there. Yeah. Uh, temporary Astros fan, Redcoats aside, what is your favorite game day hype music? This is Kenneth, the guy who invented... He was one of the people who did... Oh. Um, he did, whatchamacallit, uh, Light Up Sanford. Light Up Sanford. Or Ken. Anyway, um, favorite hype song? Probably Power, just because I love the tuba part to the Redcoat version of Power, and I just like Power, because even though Kanye is a horrible human, uh, any song that samples King Crimson is okay with me. No one band should have all that power. Yeah. That's all I say. Uh, for me... I have to, I really want to tell a quick story real quick. I used to live with this guy when I first moved to Athens about nine years ago now, nine, 10 years ago. Um, his name is now in every story I tell Slippery Mike and Slippery Mike, every game day weekend, there's a home day or away game, didn't matter. He would take everything from our living room. And what he, what we had in our living room is like, it was a mishmash of, you know, any college dorm room or apartment was like three uh, Goodwill couches um some really tall speakers he had like an old amp a record player a cd player a cassette player all separate like none of those were combined by any means and then he had this huge like big screen tv that all of our like your rich friend down the road whose house you wanted to go spend the night at every weekend kind of thing uh, had in their house but they had like the speakers built in underneath and it was a big uh, big screen tv that weighed like 800 pounds he had all that stuff and so one weekend one, uh, on one of his goodwill trips he found an old vinyl an old uga redcoats vinyl from like the 70s uh-huh. and so 
the following weekend was a home game. He took, I woke up and I would normally wake up to, to him blaring this at like seven in the morning, which is when he woke up any given point in the day, no matter what he was doing the night before he woke up, he would blare this beaut this vinyl all throughout the apartment and everybody would have to wake up and he'd like wake everybody up and make you have to party with him kind of thing. But one weekend he, it didn't happen. And I was confused as to why it didn't happen. But I still woke up at seven because I knew that he was going to wake us up regardless. And so I went out into the living room and everything was gone. Like I, and in that moment, I thought we had been robbed, but it turns out that Slippery Mike had taken everything out of the living room and put it onto the curb because he said in his uh, beautiful wisdom, he wanted to have a block party. And so he took like the rug, all the couches, the TV, all the sound equipment out onto the sidewalk and he was playing it out there instead, which is why I didn't hear it. To this day still, my favorite hype music is anything from that vinyl <laughs> that I can still find, <laughs> but it's really just old Redcoats uh, stand music. That's but awesome. That's an awesome story. Slippery Mike. Slippery Mike's a good, good, uh, just a well full of stories. Yeah, clearly. All right. Uh, next question. Additionally, does Nathan have a favorite podcast appropriate story from his trips to Florida with the band? No. <laughs> not a one <laughs> yeah i've been thinking about this and i could tell kind of like parts of one story oh, okay here's one here's one that is podcast appropriate last year me uh my wife ben vasco who was the other tuba sectional ta amanda foley who is an old red coat uh colleague of mine we were she was in color guard when i was in the susan section and now she's one of the color guard instructors and i all drove down to florida on the thursday instead of on the friday and we got a uh airbnb together and we had some really excellent music and really 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 good food and we watched like between the drive down and the night of i would say like eight hours of vines and so yeah that was <laughs> that was really awesome oh there no no you know what that's the only one i can't say anything <laughs> no, else it. i can't tell you anything else about what's happened at florida because I respect what that is. I, I respect the institution and the tradition of the Florida trip too much to be the one who says anything about it. Go dogs. Go dogs. Post game reprimand of officials. Bill C. This is the first part of a three part question. Actually a four part question. Bill C. Peace be upon him has done analysis to show that explosiveness tends to be largely random and unpredictable from year to year. Part two. UGS success rate is great this year. Maybe best ever. Well above 50%, which is nation leader, uh, Nation leading numbers over the course of a season. Okay, hold Part on. Three. It's, an, it's not. We're like ninth, but his point stands. Uh, therefore, UGA is just having bad luck with explosiveness this year or has stopped having good luck like it had in 2017 or 2018. Nothing fundamental has changed. Our longest plays just don't go quite as far on average. Question, why is this argument wrong? Um, I don't know that it... I don't know that, that the explosiveness is the problem, but I do kind of think that's the truth because... There have been a lot of shoestring tackles this year, and I don't think that's because DeAndre Swift has gotten slower or George Pickens can't run. So I kind of think that explosiveness is going to, if anything, regress back to the mean. I think we're going to get more explosiveness because you can only have so many times where a linebacker scrapes over late through a giant hole and just like, you know, sh tackles by one toe the, the runner. Next question comes from Banshee Radio. Statistically, statistically speaking, that's a hard word to say for some reason. Statistically speaking, if I stayed till Tara, how wet was I? I'm going to say you would be like three hours in a hot tub pruny wet. <laughs> and for those that don't know what Tara is, what is it? Tara is the last thing that the Redcoats play at the end of every game. 
And it's, you know, when we say once a dog, always a dog, how sweet it is. Jared Campbell, is the toss sweep dead? Yeah, we don't have fullbacks on the thing. Uh, we don't have fullbacks mm. on the roster. And we don't even use our tight ends as H-backs. So it is definitely dead until we start doing that. Because you need a tight end. You need a fullback for the toss sweep to work, I think. Mm-hmm. Press that to pay your respects. Kimberly Feldman, isn't all that rain bad for the Redcoats instruments? Uh, it is for the woodwinds, but that's why the woodwinds don't play during rain. Brass, it's like, meh. Like, you're just going to wipe your horn down. And as long as you mm-hmm. take care of it, uh, you should be fine. And in, in any way, we're going to get the instruments back out on Thursday, so they'll be fine. Uh, the drums are really the big problem. That's why if you watch, the drums are all covered up with red, uh, with plastic. My understanding, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that the real problem is the shells. The shells of the drums are wood, and they can slowly absorb more and more and more water. And so over years, they become a huge problem. And that's why drums that don't get replaced, batteries that don't get replaced, battery is what you call the drums that march. Uh, when they don't get replaced, they end up being really heavy because they've absorbed so much water. Ben Shepard comes in with a couple questions. How would you sell yourself as a metacognition analyst for UGA? I would say you aren't thinking about the fact that no one is doing this and you aren't being self-reflective <laughs> about it. So obviously you need to hire someone. And since I'm the one who pointed out, it's me. Yep. And he, he did follow up with it. I'm dying to slam down a couple reams of social psych research on Kirby's desk to show him that identity is cybernetic, not static. Jesus. <laughs> uh, his follow-up question is, Justin, which Chick-fil-A did you work at? I worked at many Chick-fil-A's. Uh, I started in snellville at uh the store unit 00803 which was the third chick-fil-a um after the the first freestanding units it was in snellville on highway 78 and then after that i actually moved to the home office to open new chick-fil-a's all around the nation and so i spent uh, a year dedicated traveling and opening chick-fil-a's um and a little bit off and on between or on either end of that one dedicated year. Uh, then I ended up finishing my Chick-fil-A career at the Chick-fil-A Barnet Shoals. Alan Ivoroni <laughs> just asks, seriously, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, that's what I got for you, too. Uh, new subjective narrative is that the offense is regressing. Is there a statistical response to this? Yeah, I mean, it objectively is. So if we went game to game on that SEC yeah, no, they, they got really bad. See. They got really yeah. bad. It's very weird. Um, another question from Hannah Shaver. How does one annoy their Florida fan coworker during their entirety of the Florida hate Fortnite? Also, when is this fanny pack going to happen? I need it. Well, you can answer the second part of that. Yeah. That, well, the fanny pack's coming as soon as I have a little bit of time to make some doodles. So this bye week is a great time. Florida hate Fortnite is a great time to make fanny pack happen. Yep. Okay, so... Hannah, there are a lot of strategies here, and you know I could record a, I could record a whole episode about how to make opposing fans angry. But here's what you got to do, okay? So you got to think about the profile of the fan. Did they go to Florida, or are they just a sidewalk fan? If they went to Florida, it's a different profile, right? Florida is a good academic institution, so they're probably pretty smart, right? And you can't really make fun of them for, for being trashy because a lot of Florida fans do the Spencer Hall, Richard Johnson, Johnson thing where they just lean into their own trash and they're like, ha ha ha. Yeah, that's funny. Okay. So what you got to do is Florida fans hate <laughs> Georgia fans because they think that we're all dumb rednecks. A lot of us are. So this is kind of like a good thing to lean into because it's like life imitating art. So what you want to do <laughs> is you want to act like you are one of those people right? Like you were a dumb redneck sidewalk fan who has like a whole plug of chew in. So just adopt that personality, right? You hate women. Um, you're regressive. You have been, you know, chronically disenfranchised by 150 years of capitalism, but yet blame it not on your capitalist masters, but on the people trying to fix the problem. And you probably like guns and trucks. 
okay? But what you gotta do is inject into that persona just the 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 perfectly, the, the goal should be ask innocent questions, ask loaded questions that still seem innocent. And I don't mean loaded question fallacy in the sense of like, you know, oh, how's your how's your eighth marriage going? Like a question that can't be answered correctly. No, no, no. What you want to do is you specifically want to be like, yeah, well, uh, how good was Florida in 1991, right? Because what this is going to do is it's going to make a Florida fan think about anything before Steve Spurrier came to coach there or anything after Steve Spurrier left as a player there, which they don't want to think about, right? And then they'll be like, oh, Urban Meyer, Tim Tebow, jerk, jerk me off or whatever. And then you're just like, oh yeah, oh, they're so good. They were so good. But what, and, and just remind me, because I really, you know, I really, I really don't know um, because, you know, guns, um, what exactly happened to Florida between the years of like 1985 and 1988? And that's it. You just don't do anything. And you can even look up like their bull ban years or even better what you do is you just ask them a lot of questions about the Ron Zook era. Because the thing is, they'll get back at you with like, oh, well, Ron Zook beat Georgia. But then you can be like, yeah, but what about the rest of the Ron Zook era? What was that like? What was it like watching Will Muschamp in every game other than Florida or the Florida Georgia game? What was that like? Can you tell me? Can you tell me about how that felt? Can you tell me how it felt to have Ron Zook as your play caller? I want to know. I want to know. And then you just keep asking questions that you know will annoy them. Because, like, you have to third-level Florida fan. And it was at this point that things took a real turn for the worst. Florida tends to make Nathan particularly cranky, and there's, like, three more minutes of him ranting on this. Head on over to the Patreon if you want to hear the rest of this one, though, and it's just a dollar a month. You get all the uncensored and unfiltered mess that we put on the internet. And this isn't just a plug. This is more of a CYA. Hope you understand. But, hey, back to the show. Really timely... (laughs) It's from Ian Boatman, and he says, hey, can Nathan Lawrence just curse like an absolute madman on the UK review? I'm all right with it. (laughs) I just want to say that, like, what you just got was very filtered. Mm -hmm. Imagine what I was doing if I wasn't trying. (laughs) You know what I mean? What would Um, I do if I I wasn't trying to control myself? Mm -hmm. Warren Lawson asks, did you embrace death yesterday? Yes. Duh. I'm pretty sure that's what that was, but I felt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chapel Weibull distribution is up the middle, up the middle, pass, punt, our new offensive identity. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I want a really neat acronym for all of it. So if we can kind of work on that, that'd be really good. Yeah. L- work on it. We're, we're, it's it's okay. like RTDBP, run the damn ball punt. Sambo, are your socks still wet? Yes. Actually, like, <laughs> I'm not joking. They are. Uh, also for a real question, is this still a perceived lack of offensive firepower or is this a real deal thing? If so, what are your suggestions and how likely do you think the coaching staff is to make some changes? I think they're very likely to add. I don't, I mean, we're not going to change our, we're not going to change our philosophy over one bye week, but I think we're very at likely to add more wrinkles. And I think we were always more likely, even if we were undefeated at this point, because this is the best defense we played on the year. So Yeah. It's really weird. You know, it's really triggering a lot of people right now. Even, you know what triggers hmm. Florida fans more than me? What triggers Florida fans the most is that they are 10th in S&P Plus and UGA is 5th. <laughs> <laughs> There's the Wario Nathan. <laughs> it's a me, uh, Nathan. All right. 
Greg Boyke, so it seemed like we generally went better to the outside instead of being between the tackles last night. Did the stats back that up? And can allowing an outside runner toss sweep be the man ball compromise between Kirby and the fan base? Yes. Uh, yes to the first question. And I mean, traditionally, toss sweep is run out of the eye with a fullback leading. But mm-hmm. so we can't really do that, but we can do more like uh, guard, you know, we can get more movement behind the line of the scrimmage in our very athletic O-line to kind of simulate it. Kyle Sargent, with the bye week coming up, what are some achievable adjustments that will give us the most bang for our buck against Florida? Obviously, an offensive reinvention is off the table, so that wrinkles. So what wrinkles and new looks can we give them that work within our current schematic style? I think we'll just see a lot more. I think we'll see a lot more of the sort of window dressing that actually works and like getting people moving against their tendencies. And, uh, I hope if it were me, which I'm not a good, I'm not a coach, so who knows, but if it were me, what I would do is I would have a lot more of the second options as the main options on plays. So I would run James cook on that jet motion and then I would throw off of it. Right. Or I would run James cook off of that jet motion. And then I would run a backside counter off of that to Deandre Swift or I would run that little like uh, one man wide receiver screen game to Demetrius Robertson and then throw like a, you know, throw a bubble on top of that. Or I would run like a go behind it, or I would run like, you know, uh, instead of the jet suite, run the jet suite motion to Lawrence Cager, but then throw it to D D Rob on a quick slant. Like, I think what you can do is just take the stuff that's still there. That's already there and just start designing it so that the second option that has been the second option is the first option. If that makes sense right? Mm-hmm. We have a lot of tendencies and the bad thing about tendencies is they make you predictable. But the good thing is when you break your tendencies, then you end up with success. And the next question, question came from Adam H, which is a very similar question. Do we have any faith that Coley can make any adjustments in the two weeks before the cocktail party? Absolutely none whatsoever. <laughs> uh, another question about play calling just came in from yeah. Chapel Weibull distribution. Have we given up on RPOs? That was a big part of our 2017 offense. Yeah, I can actually answer this. Give me a second. So on the year, UGA is running 17%, 17% RPOs for the year, okay? In 2018, we don't have 2017 stats on the website that we use for this. In 2018, last year by Ken Harrison under, under uh, Cole Cheney instead of Coley, we ran 17.06 RPOs. So I'm going to say yes to some extent probably, but... A lot of that might have to do with like our comfort level in our wide receivers, which I think is probably lower than it was when we had Javon Wims. And the Final last question. Ask CBC. Yeah. CBC. The last Ask CBC came from Dirty Dan. What are y'all going to be for Halloween? What are you going to be? So this year, and it's something I've wanted to do for a long time, I'm going to be Cusco from the Emperor's New Groove. And Anna's going to be Yzma. Nice. And we would like for Pepper to be a llama. <laughs> nice that's so good yep. mm-hmm. uh samantha is going to be princess leia a la the a new hope like the mm-hmm. big like cinnamon roll bun princess leia with the white and the oh, belt yeah. and i'm going to be uh classic han solo but in particular han solo from the episode one cast shoot concept shoots where he's wearing like dark denim as opposed to the blue with stripes which he's also wearing mm-hmm. in the first two shots of the Mos Eisley Cantina scene but then on <laughs> in you know without any reason for the change not wearing basically after the tie fighter scene the first one I think anyway but yeah that's what I'm gonna be <laughs> I appreciate that 
Yeah, it's, so, it's from like the 1975 character pre-roll shoot is what I'm going for. And with that, that's our last question for Ask QBC. But it does not mean that we don't have more questions because our last segment is the Dr. James Bearfield Troll Corner presented by Cheerwine. Is it a wine that gives you diabetes? TM, TM, TM. First question is just the comic book question is what he put. Uh, okay, so what what fight would this be? I My answer is anytime that Matt Murdock or Daredevil fights... There, there's been like 10 of these where Matt Murdock finally faces down Kingpin and they just beat each other half to death and they're all covered in blood and sweat and dirt. This happened in the Daredevil TV show, but it's also happened about 15 times in the comic books. <laughs> just any 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 Daredevil Kingpin fight is just two super strong, super fast dudes punching each other until one of them gives up. And that is, that, that is exactly what just happened. Like Kentucky punched us, we punched them, and then our punches were just like slightly better than theirs. And then we won. <laughs> I recently, a few weeks ago, read this young adult graphic novel called Pumpkinheads, and it is about, it's by Rainbow Rowell, who also wrote Fangirl yeah. and um, Eleanor and Park and all those, Yeah, yeah. and it was about these two seniors in high school that were about to go off to college, and they both work at this pumpkin patch, and they have for the last three years, and he, the, the guy in this duo, um, he has a huge crush on this uh, other pumpkin patch person you know, on the other side of the pumpkin patch, who's never really given him the, the the light of day. But basically it's like three fourths of the graphic novel is just really beautiful and kind of like slapstick humor. Uh, but it's kind of like treading water and kind of like fluff, not, not like her other books. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end you get the big payoff and you know, the, the two main characters end up together at the end and you're like, Oh, well that's why couldn't we just done that the whole time? <laughs> so that's mine. <laughs> uh good good no that's good who would you equate the i can't say that the rechick pun P- putnam argument i think is what he's talking thank about. you argument to your offense okay so that is the idea that uh it, it has to do with it's a it's a philosophical observation and i think i'm getting this right it's a philosophical observation about relatively relatively basically that okay <laughs> I'm about to get way over my skis and I hope Ben Shepard can (laughs) correct us because this is, I'm bad at philosophy. I'm decent at physics, Uh but awful at philosophy. So basically the idea is that you using arguments of um, basically the idea that there's a fourth dimension and that people have different experiential planes, but those are actual planes of uh, like each observer in a situation has its own simultaneous plane of observation. Uh, The idea being that like, it's very complicated, and I'm not smart enough to base to I'm not smart enough to explain it succinctly. But how I would how I would compare it to its offense is with the Andromeda paradox. This one I do know about, and the Andromeda paradox is also the basis for the three body problem, which is a very good Chinese sci-fi novel. And it's basically the idea that like if two people are walking down the city at the same time, and one of them says, and a, a space fleet has not been launched from Andromeda yet, and the other one says the decision to launch the space fleet to attack Earth from Andromeda has yet to be made. One of them is right and one of them is wrong in that moment, but there is still uncertainty in them, right? One of them is talking about an uncertain future. One of them is talking about what will become a certain past, right? The paradox being that how can there be any uncertainty in a world where the timeline locks in and only a single thing could happen, right? And I kind of think that's a really good idea. That's a really good summation of where we are on the on the year for uh, UGA's offense. It's like the timeline has not yet logged in locked in 
we have we have several observational planes going on here and only one of them is going to end up like collapsing into the wave state or whatever if you want to use the schrodinger's cat example and uh -huh. nobody knows which one next question i don't know if you had a chance to watch the florida south carolina or the alabama tennessee game but the officiating was subpar is there any way you see the officiating getting fixed with it starting to draw so much attention no it just is what it is dude we're talking about That's the, a the ultimate small c conservative uh organization is the ncaa the most small mm. c conservative part of the ncaa is the sec if change happens it's not going to start here how many teams left on our schedule can we beat with one offensive triumph and dumb luck georgia tech yeah oh boy uh who do you think we will see as oc next year and why <laughs> I mean, if you were to take James Coley versus the field, you'd probably take James Coley. See my yeah. talk about small C off, uh, thinking, small C conservative thinking. If you had to take someone other than James Coley, I would bet more than even money on Mike Bobo. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of articles over the weekend about Mike Bobo coming back and people saying this is the the this is how it happens. I was like, huh, okay. This is a, a quick look into the personal life of James Bearfield, actually. My wife got stuck running errands with me on Saturday morning, so she had to listen to our podcast for the first time, and she had a couple of questions. She wants to know why the Athens Varsity isn't your favorite building. <laughs> okay, so... I, I mean, I... I don't know the last time I okay, went to the I, Athens I, Varsity, I will to be say, honest. like... The, the varsity in Atlanta is one of my favorite places on earth. And the varsity is actually one of my favorite restaurants. So I could see I why I could see why that would be on the, that, that is a troll, but I, I could see why <laughs> that would be, the troll that, that is a legitimate answer. I'm man. I remember I had such good memories about, uh, you know, going to competitions at UGA and, uh, when I was in middle school and early in high school and we would go to the varsity every single time afterwards that, that was the, that was the time you know in the office when they're like hey i wish there was a way to know that you left that you were living in the good times you know before you left the good times <laughs> next question she also asked why is my section sponsored by cheer one okay so i don't know <laughs> i don't either actually i actually i actually don't know <laughs> uh, i think it's something that we just yeah did I, yeah i think we were just like we were like sponsored by, and then we said Cheerwine because it's the most like redneck, like bad for you thing we could think of. I wonder if I can go back far enough and figure out how that happened. And it was a collaborative effort and we were sitting at the same desk when it happened. Yeah. That's I, all I, I know. I, I wish I could give you a better answer. But I have all the episodes on my hard drive, so I could go back and find it. Huh. I'm going to look into it. I really wish I could give you that answer straight up, but I cannot, I cannot remember. And that's all we got. All right. This has been Chapel Bell. see us out? Yeah. I'm trying. Go for it. Do it. I'm working on it. I mean, if you want me, if you okay. want me to. Anyway. I will. This has been this has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Chapel Bell Curve. If you'd like to send us an email, you can find us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. If you want to support us, there's three ways you can do that. First, you can just leave us a review, which I have not checked if we have any more, but we will check those soon and read any of the new ones. Second, you can go hit up our merch store on Etsy. If you just search Chapel Bell Curve and then Etsy, it'll come up. Or you can just look on any of our Facebook, Twitter, or you can just literally message me and I'll send you a link. And third, if you really want to support us and join a very awesome and I would say fast growing community, 
uh, you can yeah. hit us up on the Patreon and join our discords and do some live uh, recording with us. You can listen in as we record and we usually have chats beforehand. You get preference on our Ask CBC questions and just general updates from us. You also get all of my raw stats. So if you're like a stats person yep. who wants stats, uh, yeah, it's a good place to get the hook up. So we will catch you in the Classic Center City this weekend. In particular, I will be at Wild Rumpus. If you want to see the world's yeah. most attractive chubby Han Solo, you can look at the Wild Rumpus and I will be there. Um, and we'll both be the Wild Rumpus. Yeah, we'll both be yeah. the Wild Rumpus. And until then, go dogs. Go dogs. Go dogs.